Good morning. How are you today? So there was a football game last night, Marion. I don't know if anyone else saw that or not, but if you didn't, hook them. No. Um, Yeah, rolling right on down the national rankings. <laughs> uh, all right. So to get to the really, really good stuff now, right? And then, yeah, thank you, Jeff. And the Cowboys tonight, of course, can make my weekend. I mean, you get Longhorns win, Galatians and then Cowboys, right? What, what better weekend? Be better than Burke Saturday night, whatever that was. <laughs> so, Amazing Grace, starting this new series, and it's from the book of Galatians, this letter that Paul has written. And over the course of the series, there's really three kind of core truths that I want you to walk away from with this letter. The first is you are more flawed and sinful than you ever dared to believe, right? There's some bad news for us. But two, you are more loved, more accepted in Christ than you ever thought possible. And three, the grace of God is bigger and more radiant than anything you could ever imagine. And it's kind of those three truths that I think we see unfold throughout this letter that Paul writes to the church, churches in Galatia. And if you don't know Paul's story, if you're kind of new to the Bible and new to faith, Paul began his life as a man named Saul, and he was a Pharisee, and he was a leader, really, of the Jewish people, and he was famous for leading this persecution against the church, killing people who were trying to follow Jesus. Like, his goal, his aim in life was to stop this movement and truly be God's people, the Jewish people, the chosen people. And there is one day on the road that Paul is confronted, and we read this story in in Acts chapter 9, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute you? Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting he replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so Paul is an apostle in a very literal, real sense. The word apostolos in Greek means sent one, and so he is sent. He is sent as he is confronted by Christ, and he is sent off to proclaim this good news to the Gentiles, people who are not Jews, people who their whole life, if they have heard this message of God, have told, been told they're not a part of the people of God. 
And so Paul is given this message. You're going to go and share this love. And he goes to a place um, called Galatia. And it's a region consisting of cities and churches. And it's, I think, one of the only places that Paul goes on actually all four of his mission trips. He goes to Galatia and he shares this message of Christ, that Jesus, this Messiah, is now king of the universe. And so he goes to Galatia, and Galatia is kind of like a melting pot. right? You have some people of Roman descent who have been um, displaced there or sent there after the Civil War about a hundred years earlier. There are emperor worshipers. There are different racial groups. There's a small minority of Jews who are there who have their synagogue. And it's into this world that Paul goes to preach this good news, this message of Jesus. And if you know anything about this culture, there were so many different gods that would have been here in Galatia, worshipped and celebrated. And to be a part of the community meant that you worshipped those gods. And if something were to go wrong in that city, people would assume it was because of the gods. And so they would be looking around at who we can blame because they're not worshiping the gods as they should, and obviously the gods are not looking with favor on them, and so obviously it's your fault. And so to separate yourself and say we're not going to worship those gods would, would in some way be like socially distancing yourself and setting yourself apart from other people. In our culture, I think it would be like us saying, you know what, I don't even need a car anymore. I'm going to be that different that I'm not going to worship these gods. And so he travels to Galatia and he has this message that not just Jews, but Gentiles also are welcome to come to Jesus and to be part of God's people. And he's inviting them regardless of where they're from, regardless of who their father is, who their mother is, their nationality, their race, that you can come and follow Jesus. And this message is really simple. That Jesus is the Messiah. That he died on the cross. That he was raised by God. And that now he sits on the throne as the king over the world over the universe, and everything is under Him. And you have been given the invitation to come and be a part of His world. And so regardless, He is inviting these people to come and follow Jesus. So kind of understanding this context and understanding this culture, I want you to imagine for just a moment that you're a part of South Africa in the 1970s. Apartheid is at its full um, peak. You have gone there. And, and if you don't know what the apartheid was, it was basically this mass segregation of South Africa by race. And there were only certain places you could live. And the, the word apartheid is an African word. It means separatedness or apartness. And there were only certain places you could live. Interracial marriage was completely off limits. It was against the law. And so there was this mass segregation. And so I want to imagine going there 
as a missionary or a leader and building, say, building this community center or building a church and saying from anyone, no matter where you're from, no matter the color of your skin, you are welcome here. And so you develop the plans, you lay the foundation, and then you get a call. And you leave the country for a little while. Something's come up. And a few years later, you receive a letter. And it's telling the story of this community center. And when you left, the plans were changed. No longer was there one door with one room. Now there are multiple doors, segregated with different rooms inside, because people could not be together. It was wrong. And they had taken your plans and completely changed them and said, no, we're not going to be one. Now we're going to be separate again. Because the guy who came and laid the foundation, he really didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't have permission to do that. And in a way, that's what's happening here in these churches in Galatia. Paul has gone in with this message that anyone can come to Christ by believing in Jesus the Messiah. And there are these other people who are opposing him and opposing his message, saying, no, 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 not anyone can just become a Jewish person. Not anyone can become a chosen person people of God. That there are some things that you have to follow. There are some things that you have to do. Paul's message is entirely wrong. And there were some things that you had to do if you wanted to be part of God's people. Mainly, not just believing in a Messiah, but also the ability to follow the law, to observe Torah in its strictest sense, mainly by circumcision. Being able to follow all the laws plus circumcision. And, and this comes to a culmination we read about in Acts chapter 15, this Jerusalem council. Because the big question is, do, does everyone have to follow the law and follow the Torah to be part of the people of God? And they have this, this council, this conference in Jerusalem to discuss and decide. And, and we remember from the last series right, how great people were at observing the Torah. Right? Like, we got it. We can do it this time. We're going to write it down. We're going to make a pack. We're going to get a... And they fail. And so in this council, they say, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of a Gentile, on the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We can't follow the law faithfully. Our ancestors haven't followed the law faithfully. 
why in the world are we going to expect these new believers to come in and follow the law? And really, that is the crux of this letter. Is it faith in Christ or is it faith plus the law and obedience that equals salvation in Paul's letter? And so he's writing to to these churches because these believers are facing opposition. And they're saying Paul is off base. You can't be a part of... You can't be like the Jews unless you become like the Jews. And so he begins this letter, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, and like it said, it means sent, a sent one. Sent not from men. So he's not just deciding on his own because someone else has told him. But he's sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And it's a very, very literal sense. Right? I was opposing the, the way of Jesus, and I was persecuting the church, and then there was this moment that Christ appeared to me. He blinded me, and it was three days before I could see again. And He sent me with this good news. And so it's quite literally. There's not someone else who's given this message to me. I haven't heard it secondhand. Jesus Himself sent me. And to all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, He says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He gave Himself to rescue us from our sins. He gave Himself. Because humanity had fallen into the trap that humanity had from the beginning. That sin continued to trip us up. Our our inability to be obedient was on center stage. It was on full display. And over and over we had failed. And over and over we were reaping the result of that sin, which was death. And so Jesus came... Not just to rescue us, but to conquer death. And the only way that you do that is by not falling into sin. Because the result, the wage of sin is death. Right? That was told to them in the garden. If you sin, if you eat this fruit, you're going to die. And humanity falls. And humanity has been falling ever since. And so Paul has this assurance 
that Jesus came into this world to rescue us because we were unable to rescue ourselves. Like we've tried over and over and over to save ourselves and we were incapable of doing it. We've tried every way you can imagine. We've tried through the law. We've tried through power and strength. We've tried and we've tried and we've failed. And so Jesus came into this world and he lived this perfect life in order that we could be rescued from death. That death could be conquered. And he was going to rescue us from this present evil age. And so when Paul talks about salvation, one of the things that he does in his letter is he uses these two terms, this present evil age and what he's going to say in Galatians is a new creation. And so he mentions in chapter 1 this present evil age that we're a part of, but then in chapter 6 he talks about the glory and the goodness of new creation, where God's restoring. And so in Paul's term, salvation isn't this concept of, hey, someday off in the future, when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day it's going to be, he's talking about in the here and now, that Jesus came to rescue us from what's happening right now. He came to rescue us from the decay that started in the garden. Right? If you eat this fruit, you're going to die. And that decay started, and it hasn't stopped. It continues. But somehow, what Jesus has done through our sins rescued us from what's happening here and now. So it wasn't, hey, make a decision to follow Jesus and then someday everything will be okay. It was make a decision to follow Jesus and I'm going to rescue you here and now from the decay and the death that is all around you. Now, here's one thing I know. Is that it doesn't take long to see this world is decaying. Right? It, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that this world is dying. It doesn't take a rocket science. It doesn't take you looking back at picture after picture to see that, hey, we're getting older. That I get up on a Sunday morning and I'm a little more sore than I was 10 years ago. That I'm not in quite as good a shape as I was 10 years ago. Things aren't going in the upward trajectory that I would hope they were. But what Jesus did was He came into this world to begin this new creation. Not someday, but today. Through His death and resurrection, this new world has begun. This new world where death 
does not get the last word. This new world where grace is evident, where peace in your life is possible. And there is so much packed in to this intro to Paul's letter. So in verse 6, he continues, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the One who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to, different, to a different Gospel. Right? And this Gospel word, euangelion, it means good news. It's this proclamation of a message. You're turning to a different Gospel, which is really not a Gospel at all. Right? The, the good news is that if you believe and trust in Jesus that He's going to come in and redeem and renew and restore all things. And this different Gospel is that, yes, you can be a part of God's chosen people if you believe in Jesus, but there's a small operation you're going to have to do first. And if you're willing to do that, then you can be a part. Which is a different Gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel by adding things to it. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse as we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And, and here in these four sentences, basically, he uses this word euangelion five times. This good news. We're proclaiming that Jesus has died, He is buried, He was raised on the third day by God because God raised Him. Right, And that is central to Paul's theology. Is that Christ was raised from the grave by God. And I think what we can say from Paul's theology is Paul believed that Christ gave up His power to raise Himself from the dead. I think that's what he's talking about in Philippians 2. He surrendered His power going into death relying and trusting on the power of God to raise him from the grave. He surrendered that. He stepped into humanity, stepped into death, and God vindicated him because there was no sin to hold him in the grave. Like that is core to Paul's theology, understanding. And that is good news. You are welcome. You are invited. You can be part of this new world. Jew, Gentile, Alabama fan, Texas fan. You're all welcome. And what he means when he says faith, and we'll we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but when he talks about faith, he means belief and baptism. Like, I think those are central to Paul's theology of what it means to follow and surrender your life to Jesus. And, and I was kind of like reading through this 
intro and it's like, well, it's kind of a weird passage to preach from. Like there's a ton of theology in it. I mean, it, for, for nine verses, it is really, really dense theology. But one of the things that really jumped out to me is that as Paul talks about this intro and, and here's who I am and I want you to remember how important you are to me, it's not that the gospel is part of his identity. The gospel is his identity. He doesn't write them this letter saying, hey, I was a Pharisee, da 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 All he talks about is the grace of Christ in his life and the good news that is being offered to everyone. And I, I started thinking, how much of my life how much of my identity is simply based in the gospel? Right? Like it's a part of my life. But for Paul, it wasn't a part. That was his identity. Because the identity that you and I would describe of who we are, Paul could care less about. That's died. That's gone. That no longer exists. And he tells them who he is by telling them what Christ has done for him. So one of the, the things I get to do um, is I'm a chaplain or character coach for the Tyler Junior College baseball team. And I get to spend my Wednesday mornings with them, we have a team breakfast, and we talk about faith, we talk about character, we talk about life, we talk about becoming a man. Um, there's a lot of things we get to do in this conversation. And every year, we kind of start with an intro of here's who we are and here's some of the things that we've gone through. And as I was talking a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that, that jumped out was how much of my life is tied to Jesus. And, and I was talking to these guys, telling them about who I am, but so much of who I am is in Christ. And that just had to come out. It was part of who I am. And one of the things I think these guys at this age struggle with so much is trying to figure out who they are. And for me, it, it matters a lot because I was where they were. And I think one of the hardest transitions I ever made in my life was when I graduated, when I finished college baseball. Because my whole life I had been an athlete. My world was built around prepare. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Hairball. <coughs> my entire life was built around preparing for the next season. Right? We, we have the next game, we have the next season, and there was always something coming next. And I remember we lost our very last game in the conference tournament. He's, you want to come preach with me, Henry? He's got it. 
I remember we played our very last game against Southern Arkansas. We played in um, Tennessee. We lost 6-1. to one. And I remember sitting in the dugout after the game was over, and I was just in tears. And I was thinking, what? what's next? And we had a, a four-hour bus ride back in the middle of the night, I just remember staring out the window and, like, who am I? What, what do I do now? Because my entire life, I was an athlete. And now I wasn't. I'm guessing you've probably been there too. You've had these moments along the way where it seemed like your identity, who you are, was stripped away. Who are you now? A husband, a wife, a grandparent, a father, a mother, an employee, a boss, a teacher student, who are you? Because I think when we answer that question so many times, it is tied to what we do. And so many times it's tied to what other people tell us we are. And I think we spend our life trying to listen to find our identity from other things, other people. And sometimes it takes that being stripped away to realize there's got to be something else that defines who I am. Because I think one of the most important truths you can find is if you lose sight of your identity, that you have been given vertically, you will start searching for it everywhere horizontally. If you lose sight of the identity that you have been given from Christ, you will start asking everyone else around you to tell you who you are. to give you your identity, to make you feel like you matter, to make you feel like you have a place and you belong. And Paul's message is simply this, I belong because of, and no other reason because, but the grace of Jesus Christ. And my identity is no longer in myself. It's no longer in what other people say I am. It is simply about Him. We live in a world, I think, that struggles so much right now with identity. Trying to figure out who we are. Trying to be something we're not trying to portray. I mean, that's what social media is. 
trying to portray something that we're not. But the question is, we kind of begin this series. Do you believe that you are who Christ says you are? And that in Him is the hope of the world? Father, we thank You so much. Um, and Father, we are, we are bombarded every single day with messages about who we are and who we should be. But Father, today may we be reminded that we are a child of the King. That we are a child of Christ. That He gave His life to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And Father, as we live in a world where we're reminded of the death and decay, may You remind us that there is resurrected life. Not just someday, but Father, today. So may we find our hope in Christ alone. And Father, may we put our trust in King Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.